Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore-focused writers from Blizzard Watch, and I've got both of my wonderful co-hosts with me today. First up, let's talk about our shaman columnist, who is also a gigantic aficionado of lore, and that would be Joe Perez. Hey, Joe. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Hopefully everybody's having a great week and not learning about mud people like I did. Mud people? My car got stuck in what I can only refer to as the only inner city swamp I have ever seen. Wow. It was enough mud that it actually took my car down to the uh, to the frame, and Ooh. it took two tow trucks and a winch to get me out. <gasps> Dang, Joe. Yep, that was so that was that was my experience with mudden. You're not out not in the planned. boonies either, are you? No, I'm gonna be. I'm in a major metropolis, metropolitan area. Well, this is freak sinkhole stuff, man. Yes. Is yes, your car all right? Uh, about a thousand dollars later, yeah, it's okay. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, I'd ask if you were okay, but you're here, so obviously you are. So. <laughs> yeah, I was more annoyed than anything. Okay, then. All right. Uh, our second co-host, obviously, y'all know him really well. He'd be the other lore-focused writer at Blizzard Watch and also writes a bunch of other stuff for us as well. And that would be Matt Rossi. Hey, Rossi. Hey, everybody. You haven't sunk into any sinkholes lately, have you? No. Um, I did spend, like, some time this week in Nighthold. Oh, okay. There, there's a fight in there where you fight a giant robot who is trying to kill you with cake. Yes, I love that fight. I love that fight so much. I just wanted to tell people that that fight exists. There is a fight where, no lie, a giant robot attempts to kill you with cake. And you have to eat all the deadly, deadly cake, because if you don't, robots will come and eat it mm -hmm. and explode. You don't want the robots to eat the cake and explode. You want the robots to eat the goo on the floor that you can't stand and in. This is something that the freaking Nightborn built. I, I seriously question their entire civilization now. This sounds like a raid version of the Van Cleef, or not the Van Cleef fight, the Murloc fight right before it with the Murloc and the Cauldron. Yes, it is very much like uh, Cookie. Yeah. Except, except it's, it's, it's one of those fights where you sit and look at it and you realize that this robot is actually having an identity crisis and it's, it's phenomenal. That's, this That's, robot. Yeah, yeah, I haven't I haven't had the chance to pop into LFR just yet, but I plan on doing that later today, actually, after we're done with the show. So hopefully I get to witness all this madness for myself because that... I thought the second fight was going to be the weirdest fight in the instance. <laughs> like, I honestly thought the time the time aberration yeah. boss was going to be the weirdest fight. We get through that fight and we end up going upstairs to giant cake robot. And I was like, all right. Nope. Y'all. Y'all are not, just. Yep. This, oh. this civilization needed to be toppled because y'all are building <laughs> robots that go nuts and try and kill people with cake. So, yeah. All I know is the first three fights are in a sewer and it's a giant scorpion. A time We're basically fighting against time itself and then cake robot. And it was the best introduction to a raid I've had in probably a decade. I love I, it. I like how it doesn't matter where we're at. We always have to bust in through the sewer. Because we did that with, like, it's, That's Black action Temple movie 101, man. Throne <laughs> <laughs> of Thunder actually meet, let you come in the front door and then made you go through the sewer. Yeah. yeah. This time they're just the straight up getting fence. the sewer out of the way. It's like Black Temple, where it's just starting the sewers and yeah, move your way up. It's pretty much, it's like, well, we can't go through the front door, so let's just go in through the sewer pipes. And Black Temple, we had to go through the sewer pipes. Throne of Thunder, it was like, we... we launched that assault at the front door and then we got dropped into the sewers because blizzard just said nope you're not getting out of the sewer level there's an obligatory sewer level 
Yeah. Anyway, so uh, this week we're going to actually, we have a couple of emails and they kind of tie into each other. Um, this is a topic that we've talked about before. We've talked about Jaina Proudmore before. Um, and we're going to talk about her more in depth today because we've we've talked about her from the perspective of saying that she should be in Legion and it's weird that she's not in Legion. But I don't think that we've ever really done any kind of deep dive into her progression as a character from like where she started to where she's be- what she's become now. And it's been probably one of the biggest dramatic arcs in Warcraft's history. There have been other characters that have had that same kind of, you know, swing, but I don't think any of them have ever been quite as dramatic as Jaina's. So um, the first email, the first email that we've got here is, uh, says, hey, lore gods, I was reading the Know Your Lore dangling plot threads in WoW today, and two things kind of connected in my mind. Do you think Jaina could be trying to find a weapon to fight the Burning Legion? She doesn't seem like someone who would sit back and just let things that took place in Dalaran slide. It'd be really cool if in the final hour, towards the end of the expansion, if she showed up and helped save the day. Um, and I think we kind of have to talk about that a little bit, because, yeah, it's very much in Jaina's character not to let stuff like that slide. Jaina, Jaina's kind of stubborn, and she started out as the daughter of Grand Admiral Dalen Proudmore. So, I mean, she was born into kind of a quasi-nobility thing. Oh, no, there's no quasi about it. She was considered royalty because he was a lord. He was not just a Grand Admiral. Lord he Admiral. Wasn't, Excuse he me. was actually a lord, so he, he was, was royalty. He was the ruler of is yes. basically. Um, the, the only reason I say quasi is because Kulteris, while Kulteris has been like useful in the Warcraft universe and, and, you know, it was a member of the Seven Kingdoms and everything, I don't think it was quite as involved with the whole political situa- situation anywhere near as much as, say, I don't know, Lord Ron or Gilneas or any of the landlocked. Cause... Well, I mean, it depends on how you look at it. Um, it was very much Kulteris that fought the First Horde um, Dragon Riders. True. And it was very much Colteris that, yeah, Colteris is the one that essentially, when you, I was just reading this too, this is what bugs me is my brain is like Swiss cheese the past few days uh-huh. for reasons. Um, I was reading the, uh, the bit about when uh, Dalen's son, not Tancred, the one that's established in lore was leading, he was on one ship and he basically bought Derek. his father, Derek, yeah, he bought his father time to, to fight the dragons off with his life. He sacrificed himself and his ship to do it uh, because the dragon just came up and was just destroying the ship and they couldn't fight it off in time. And it was his sacrifice and the help of the, of the dwarves was what, you know, basically taught the Alliance. This is how you fight these things. You, you have to fight them from the air. You can't, you need Griffin riders. You can't possibly stop them from the ground because they just won't, they won't come down. And this is pretty much, I mean, this is all early in Jaina's life because yeah, she, she remembers her brother. She yeah, knew she... her brother, obviously. She was saddened when he died, but she was very young at that point. So, Well, it's like know. how far between the first and second war? And then the second war and the third war? The second war is like, what, almost 20 years before, after, like between the second and third? Or is it just 10? Uh, I can't remember. It's it a big was, chunk of time. It, it was a I big, it was a sizable I chunk of time. I think it's a, a decade, I think. That sounds about right. Yeah. First war and the fall of Stormwind was like years three and five. And then the second war began in year six. So it the, the orcs kind of ramped up their attack right away. But um, that war, if I remember correctly, the second war, it actually stretched on for a fairly 
Well, but Destruction of Draenor was year eight, isn't it? Yeah, Destruction Destruction of Draenor was year eight, and that was when Draenor was shattered, um, and we had like all the people that were on the other side of the portal were lost. The new horde Thrall didn't break out of the internment camps or anything until ten years after that. So he was pretty much like born just before that defeat because he rose to leadership at age i think he was 18 18 19 when he became the leader of the horde which is kind of incomprehensible again but he was very young when he took up that mantle um so jana would have been if we if we assume jana was born like a year zero which i don't know that she was but no i think she was older than that uh, a little if she's like six when the second war starts, she would have been like eight to ten when her brother died. It depends. Yeah, but- she was old enough to remember it, and she was old enough to remember him. So her life kind of started, like, a lot of her formative memories were, you know, put against this backdrop of these wars that were going on. Um, beyond that, and on top of that, she's also quite bright. She was a really smart kid, and she spent a lot of time reading got really, really interested in all of the tales of the Guardian Agewin, and that kind of spurred her onward so that, you know, the moment that she showed any kind of magical aptitude, she was sent to Dalaran, and from there, she pretty much badgered Antonidas nonstop into taking her on as his personal apprentice. <laughs> Which is super important to note, not only because it shows her character is like the stubbornness of her character, because yeah. she would not take no, but she was one of the few uh, female wizards at the time uh, basically serving Dalaran. So she was... In that Not kind only, of direct capacity. Yeah. Um, so she helped pave the way for, for and I, I hate to say it like it, but it really is. She helped pave the way for, you know, the fact of Dalaran and, and the mages' orders in general just having sorceresses, really. Lots of them. Lots yes. and lots of them. Because um, she, she was arguably one of the most powerful to develop out of Dalaran. Um, I believe she's, right now, she's considered the probably the most powerful human sorceress alive at this point human keep in mind we're talking human here we're not talking about elves because the elves are on a different plane of existence altogether here um, yeah but honestly aside from one sorceress who isn't even an elf anymore i can't think of any elf that could take her there's no established in lore right now elf character who wields magic that is in her league and i mean i'm including like ramath because she took out um she took out sun chaser with contemptuous ease. Yeah. She didn't just beat him. She slapped him like a small child who who put on daddy's pants. That we, we're getting way too far forward here, but, but I'm just regardless, saying, you know, the whole point here Jaina is a power. Yeah. The oh, yeah, whole she point is, she here is. is that Jaina was a powerhouse even when she was young. And not only was she a powerhouse, she was all, also really determined to see the things that she wanted to see. Come to fruition actually happen. So she worked really hard when she was in Dalaran, and she worked really hard to become the best apprentice that she could. And she made sure that, you know, when she got there, that she was studying under the very best teacher that she could possibly find. And who better than the leader of the Kirin Tor, you know? Um, that was a big deal. When it was a very her... big deal because Antonidas did not take apprentices usually. It, yeah, he, he did. He rejected several people who so were many. Like, you know. um, but beyond that, and besides that, we do have that whole royal connection where Jaina was the daughter of a prominent figure and a ruler of one of the Seven Kingdoms. So 
Jaina had ties to royalty, whether or not she chose to accept them or chose to like embrace them with the same kind of fervor as maybe anybody else in her position, that also brought her close together with Arthas. Because Arthas was Terranus' son. He was a prince. And obviously Arthas is going to have to get married at some point. But these two met when they were very young. Um, and they actually became pretty close friends. Arthas sort of appreciated the fact that she wasn't... She wasn't... I wouldn't say she wasn't a girly girl. Because she probably was. But that she expressed a lot more interest in like the whole adventuring and checking things out and exploring and that kind of thing. He took her, he volunteered to escort her to Dalaran. And while they were on their way to Dalaran, he took, he actually took her out. They snuck out late at night to go see one of the internment camps where the Alliance had actually like put all the orcs in forced imprisonment. And she saw that and she was kind of horrified at the idea because she was like, what, what about the baby orcs? What about the kid orcs? What about, and Arthas is like, well, they're just orcs. And she's like, well, yeah, but and that I think that was kind of the beginnings of that whole spark of diplomacy that she later demonstrated with the Horde. Like that was part of the reason why she felt sort of connected to Thrall right off the bat was just those origins of where he had come from. She had seen those, you know, in her youth and she'd been exposed to that in her youth anyway. Um Arthas and Jaina, do do either of you guys want to tackle that? Because that was kind of, that went weird places. Well, what do you mean by tackle it? Talk about it? Yeah, I just mean, talk first, about it. The first time they met, obviously, like you just pointed out, they became friends fairly quickly. Um, one of the things that I was reading um, Arthas the other day, one of the problems Arthas had growing up was that relatively few people would talk to him like a person. Because no, he was always your highness or, you know, you know grace, he, blah, blah. He, he'd witnessed his sister. There's actually an interesting point. Uh, in the book where he witnesses his sister absolutely terrified and distraught because they're going to marry her off to some noble she's never even heard of, some guy named Davil Prester, who's supposed to be from Northeron, wherever the heck that is. Uh, and he's supposedly related to the, you know, Prester line, and he's going to be king of Alterac, and she's going to be married to him. And she's like, I don't even know this guy. I don't want to marry him. I've never even heard of him. And her father was basically going to force her into it. And she was so terrified and distraught. And Arthas witnessed it. And he didn't, he's like, I don't know. As a paladin, this is, I, I mean, I can't do anything, but it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel just. And that was a thing that, you know, when he met Jaina, there's somebody who isn't going to be forced into anything. You know, someone who wasn't going, she was going to go study magic. And there was none of that problem, like none of that, you know, none of that forced nature of it. Which I think helped their relationship. I think that's one of the things he and liked she about she had it. that spark of stubbornness. And I think he kind of appreciated that spark of but, stubbornness. Well, yeah, because well, I mean, he never got challenged. And she would challenge him. She, yeah. That, and, like, when you're, and, and I hate to say it, like that's, that's a trope. But it, it fits so well in that. Because when you're royalty in those classic stories, everybody just bows to your whim like 99% of the time. Yeah, growing because, up. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was, I was going to say, but then like. Here's this person who's gonna she's she's gonna go. Nah, I don't feel like it. Peace. Like there are two people that that Arthas was really close friends with his own age or close to his own age. Um, one of them was Varian, who came to uh, Lord Aran basically with nothing. He, he was and Varian the... was older than him, but not by much. 
was a few you know, years old. It was, he was a few years older, but it was like, oh, a boy my age, like a prince, somebody who understands the situation I'm in. So, yeah, yeah naturally the two of them kind of bonded together over that. And but. one of the things that, you know, in that situation, one of the reasons Arthas became close to him was because Varian had seen so much more than Arthas. He'd been through the loss of his kingdom, and he was much more dedicated to, to combat than Arthas was. Arthas actually lost constantly trying to spar with Varian. He couldn't beat him. He couldn't even come close. He was still learning at that point, yeah. and Varian had been learning from from Anduin Lothar. Yeah, I'm sorry, for the a lot longer. <laughs> the dude's teacher is Anduin Lothar. It's not surprising he's you know not, he's not exactly very you know. And, um, look, Arthas's trainers had all been just people they hired. It was just a different world. And with Jane, with Jaina, this was somebody who didn't even care about that sort of thing, knights and chivalry and all that. She was going to go off and learn magic and be you know a Dalaran. And she, you know, she grew up in the same basic position of privilege as him. Like for all that they weren't called kings, um, you know, the Proud Moors were the unquestioned rulers of of Colteris. I think they the were... only reason that they weren't called he wasn't called a king was just because it was a naval kingdom. Yeah, the, the title of admiral basically meant king. If you were the yeah. admiral of of Colteris, you were its ruler. That's they didn't need to be kings, but that their meeting kind of shapes both of them in different directions. Like he doesn't agree with her about the whole orc thing he doesn't like ab absorb that but he witnesses it and he kind of caroms off in a different direction like it's it's fascinating to watch the way the two of them played off of each other and went their own separate ways they they for all that they had a romantic feelings for each other at a young age they both knew what they wanted they were very and, determined to get what they wanted too and they didn't they there was none of that you know oh we'll be torn apart there was well maybe i'll see you in a few years it, you know yeah we'll, we'll see what happens it was kind of an amicable amicable parting as it were all of this information by the way is available in the novel Arthas by Christy Golden which I highly recommend reading if you want any kind of backstory into Arthas but also Jaina as well because both the of them are super intertwined yeah yeah their fates are really kind of intertwined and a lot of the story there are flashbacks or flash forwards I guess to Jaina um, because she's remembering all of this stuff in the wake of Wrath of the Lich King. Um, I would also say that with Jaina and Arthas, one of the reasons that Arthas stuck out in Jaina's life was that a lot of the other people in her life were basically, you know, either her family or when she goes to the Kirin Tor, they're all Kirin Tor mages. Uh, and they're kind of, I don't, there's not really a polite way to put this. Their heads are up their own asses. <laughs> Um, that's just straight up. That's how they are. They don't care at all about things that really concern Jaina. Like not just the orc thing. Justice in general is important to Jaina. Things of being, Jaina's one of those people. She's young. She's extremely young. She's like between 16 and 20 when the third war comes up. She's young enough that she's still very idealistic and fairness is important to her in a way that, you know, it's very hard to get Antonidas worked up over unfairness. It's, the guy is in his 80s. He's yeah. seen everything. And, you know, Kel'Thuzad? Kel'Thuzad is, you know, he's turning rats into, like, moving corpses in, in warehouses. That dude's not worrying too much about unfairness. Kael'thas is basically creeping on her at this time. Super creeping on her, yeah. Yeah, we, and, we should... I want to go back a little bit, though, to the whole Jaina and Arthas thing, because this all well, kind of saying, culminates before the Third War. All I'm saying is that she, the other people in her life don't give her like they're not engaging with her. They're kind of like they talk to her station or they talk to her power. But they don't talk to her as a human yeah. being. 
There's not a lot of people who are like, you know, hey, Jaina, no, <laughs> that's silly. Come on. Arthas very much talked to her like she was a human being because she talked to him like he was a human being. And they had that kind of mutual understanding. And that did blossom. It blossomed into romance. And they had a relationship. And they were actually engaged. Um, they were engaged and they were going to be married. And at some point, Arthas got cold feet. And he kind of backed out because he realized that this was moving maybe a little too fast for him and that there were still things that he wanted to accomplish. And he knew that there were still things that Jaina wanted to accomplish and neither one of them would be able to accomplish any of it if they stepped into this position of royal wedded couple. What's really interesting about that, though, too, is that decision right there is such a defining decision for the rest of the story because it's a what if scenario. What if he hadn't gotten cold feet? What would have happened after that? Would the events that played out after that still occurred? And it's, it's always interesting to me that, that, that noblest of gestures that he made uh, may have potentially been the start of, of that downfall. And it centered around his desire to make the best decision for not just himself, but for this person he cared about a great deal. Like in, in, it's interesting because it's a moment of I don't want to say like cliche chivalrous self-sacrifice, but it kind of is. And it made all the difference in the world. And I think it also made a difference later on, too, because they parted. They parted ways and it was kind of amicable. Jaina's heart was a little broken. Um, she understood understood kind of the cold logic behind the decision, but her heart still hurt you know, from it. And they went their separate ways. She went on to, you know, continue studying at Dalaran under Antonidas. And when the third war, the scourge began to pop up, um, she was sent to go reunite with Arthas. And they, this was, this was that whole mission in Warcraft three where the two of them had to travel um, together to kind of see what the source of all of this was and try and ferret things out. Um, And when they met back up again, it was, kind of awkward initially but they very quickly fell right back into the couple that they had been and they they got together and then as that journey went on it became clearer and clearer that Arthas wasn't quite the same person that she had fallen in love with like he had changed there was something in him that had changed and it wasn't for the better um and that all kind of culminated when they got to Stratholm. And I don't know, Rossi, you want to talk about what happened at Stratholm? Well, I think we kind of need to talk about what they saw first. Because yeah. to, to put it in brief, when they started traveling through Northern Lordaeron, keep in mind, Northern Lordaeron was both rural and somewhat distant from, you know, the political power in the south. Uh, Lordaeron City was in the south and it was near the water, not on the water, but near it. It was a trade-oriented place. It faced Gilneas. It was right next to the Gilneas border. Um, there was a lot... Of you know the southern people looked downward and towards other nations. In the north, you you know your only neighbors were like you know the elves who never talked to you, angry trolls who occasionally attacked you, and they were a self-sufficient people. So when they went silent, this is the breadbasket of the kingdom. When they went silent, it was a concern. It was like what's going on up there? It uh, was Jaina, weird. Yeah, Jaina w- went up with him, and at first they actually did seem to rekindle things. Like it, it was very much like a. You know, I'm the prince now. You've you've reached a very strong position in in Lordaeron. I'm a paladin. I mean, in in, in a Dalaran, and I'm a paladin. We've achieved kind of what we wanted. Maybe things can go forward now. But soon they the first thing they discovered was this plague, 
which was unlike anything they'd ever seen. This is necromancy isn't new. It's not like something no one had ever heard of, but nobody had ever seen anything like this. No, and it was, was not something that was studied or encouraged to be studied. I mean, Kelsad was sent away. Yeah. Was pretty people, much banished because of it. People who messed around with necromancy, just a little of it, got banished from the Tor or dealt with. And this was way bigger than that. This was way bigger than some troll witch doctor doing a little, you know, doing, talking to the, the Loa and doing a little voodoo or whatever you, they call it in the game. It was very much a very big deal. Oh, and, yeah. I mean, you're reanimating corpses from other corpses, like pieces of other corpses. Like This is yeah. a big thing. And uh, very quickly, it became apparent that Arthas took every setback seriously. More than that, he took them personally. And and they were being taunted. Like, several times, Kel'Thuzad or a minion of his would taunt them. Uh, you know, there's nothing you can do to stop us. We'll, you know, we'll, you'll, we'll beat you to the next place. And when they Blah, run blah, the yada, place, yada, the usual. When they got to Brill, Brill is important. If you've ever um, been to Brill in-game, they got to Brill and everybody was already dead. And it's like, what do we do? Then they go to uh, Anderhal and the granaries in Anderhal, which if you ever did the vanilla quest with the time bugs, they were messing around with the granaries too. Uh, that was the first sign that the uh, Infinite Dragonflight might be trying to figure out something about Arthas. The the whole area, they realized not just are people poisoned in in these towns. Everybody who's eaten grain from Anderhal is going to get this plague because the entire granary is plagued. And, and Anderhal was the supplier for the Everywhere. entirety of Lord yeah. Ron. The kingdom got its grain from Anderhal. Anderhal was where it was all brought. It was effectively like a tithe barn. And so... The, you know, they ran to Stratholm because that was the closest major city. And Stratholm was a big deal. It was it was in its way as big and powerful as Lodoran. It was a major city. So they ran to it as fast as they could, and they got there. It was too late. And Arthas basically started to snap. And she could it, see it. Yeah, they, they initially, you know, they were trying to get back Hearthland, to figure out right. what was what was going on and yeah they stopped they stopped yeah, at Hearthland. Hearthland yeah they stopped at Hearthland too but that's that's why they got jumped by the the scourge there yeah they stopped at Hearthglen and they realized that Anderhal's grain had already gotten to Hearthglen and it had been distributed and people were eating it and they were transforming you know right before their eyes and Jaina took off to go find Uther for reinforcements because at that point it became eminently clear that this was something way bigger than just her and Arthas could handle by the time she got back with the silver hand Hearthglen was pretty much destroyed and Arthas was fighting a battle that he could not win um and they managed to get out of there with Uther's help. But at the same time, it was like that was their first sight, I think. And that, that first mental picture of exactly how widespread this thing was and exactly, you know, how horrifying this thing was that was going on. And that's when they took off for Stratholm because Stratholm was one of the biggest cities there beyond, I think, Lordaeron itself, really. Yeah. Well, capital city. Yeah, like Lordaeron City was the biggest, but Stratholm is right up there. It's right it's, up there it, with it. Yeah, it's it was. I mean, just look at it in game. Even it's big enough to have like you know multiple areas to it. it it's it was a large city. And, and something it, something happened. Something started to happen to Arthas where he kind of began to lose it a little bit. He was on this quest, this single-minded determination quest to make all of this horrible stuff stop at any cost. Um and that started getting bigger and bigger. And when they got to Stratholm's gates and he saw that the townsfolk had been eating the grain already, he knew that it was Hearthglen part two. 
and he said, we need to purge the city before all of these people turn. We need to purge the city. And Jaina was pretty horrified because who knew how many people in there actually ate the grain and who knew how many people in there hadn't touched it? They, they, they had no way to tell. And they also hadn't looked into any kind of cure or, or, or solution for the plague itself. And that was something that Jaina wanted to check out because, you know, if they could cure all of these people, then everything would be okay again. Arthas didn't even want to wait for that. Like, well, it, it's it's the classic military mentality versus the yeah. science mentality. Like in the zombie apocalypse movies, the the you know army doesn't care about you know curing the people; it cares about stopping the plague or the advancement of of the disease that's going on. And that's very much where Arthas's head was at because he's looking at it from like a king would almost. He has to take decisive action based off of what he sees. And he sees that this is spreading so quickly that they don't have time to wait and study this and figure out what's going on. And and to be fair to him, I mean, as you just pointed out, he'd been through half of these towns already. He'd been to Hearth Glen Mm -hmm. and seen everybody in Hearth Glen just turn into monstrosities. Like shortly after they got there, too. Like it wasn't it wasn't like it was a slow thing. It was like they got there, saw the grain and boom. Yeah. And he's he knew as a paladin he couldn't cure this. He the holy light wasn't going to fix it. He tried. So his, you know, his decision is understandable given the the threat and the scale, but it's also monstrous. And that's one of those situations where it's, it's kind of like, you know, we have this going on in Legion right now where Zara is constantly going, what would you have done when, when showing us Illidan stuff? But it's really hard to go back when you do calling a Stratholme, it's hard to know what he should have done. It's hard to come up with a really good solution. And Jaina was in a weak worse position because all she had was objections. She couldn't give him a solution. No, that's all she could do is protest. She couldn't do anything else. And Uther, Uther had authority, but Arthas pretty much stripped him of that authority by just right of succession and his sovereignty to the crown. Arthas made a proclamation and said, yeah, I relieve you of your command and everything else. And everybody who is loyal to the crown, stay here and follow me. And then he turned to Jaina and he said Jaina because he expected Jaina to go with him. And she... All she could say was, I'm sorry, Arthas, I can't watch you do this. And she left. And I think that was probably like her heart broke a little when he broke off that engagement. But I think right here is the very clear, pivotal moment where she realized that they were going down two very, very different paths. And whatever path Arthas had gone down after he broke off that engagement, it was not one that she was willing to follow or even stand by his side with. He turned into almost a different human being and it wasn't a human being that she liked. He, he, you know, he set them both free in essence to pursue their own interests, but those interests didn't cleave together as much as maybe she initially thought that they would. Um, And that's where Jaina kind of, that's where her story, you know, dramatically diverges from Arthas's because she returns, you know, she returns, she leaves um, and she goes to return to Dalaran and she's visited by a mysterious prophet. And this prophet had actually visited King Terranus and Antonidas both in turn. She overheard the conversation with Antonidas um, and she brought it up with Antonidas and Antonidas was like, eh, it's nothing to worry about. Don't, don't think about it. Well, the prophet came to her this time and said, look, you need to take 
all of the people that you can. You need to take all of the survivors that you can. And you need to leave. You need to sail across the ocean and you need to go to Kalimdor. If you want to survive and you want your people to survive, this is what you need to do. And Jaina said, okay. Because what else did she have at that point? Yeah, she couldn't get, you know, she couldn't get anyone to listen to her. No. Antonidas wasn't listening to her. Her mentor wasn't listening to her. Um, the Kieran Tork very clearly were going to just stick their heads, you know, we know where I say they stick them, and, and you know, ignore the whole issue. Uh, so she basically at this point, she could have tried to go home and get her father to listen, but she knew her father. That wasn't going to work. So she and it, made the yeah, best decision it wasn't she an, could. It, it wasn't an immediate decision because, you know, she she thought it over, and the more she thought about it, the more it made sense. And then Arthas and the Scourge began that invasion of Dalaran, and that's when both Jaina and Antonidas realized, no, this is real. Like, this is very, very real, and we need to go. Like, Antonidas turned to her and said, take as many survivors as you can. Get out. Go. And she took her people, and she took all of the survivors of Kul Tiris that she could with her, too. Like, she took, a, she took an entire naval force uh, from Kul Tiris with her. Um, Daddy would not let her go alone. Uh, and I think... I don't, I don't know what Dalen Proudmore was up to during that time period, because I don't think that was ever really clearly defined. All I know is that her father did not go with her on that initial journey to Kalimdor, but he did show up later. Uh, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Jaina, however, Jaina, re- I, I think Jaina at that point, she realized that there was nothing left for her in the Eastern Kingdoms. And the only way to achieve any kind of safety was to put her trust in this absolute stranger, this prophet that she didn't know, take him at his word, do what he and her mentor had both said and, you know, flee. So she did. And Arthas and the Scourge and everything else was kind of just a memory that she left behind. Um, I don't, she might have thought about him at points after that. She might have wondered what had happened to him at points after that. But her focus was very clearly elsewhere. Uh, And, you know, maybe that's kind of reflective of her stubbornness, too, where she's like, I need this situation to work. And and this was the only way that she had for it to work. Joe, you got any thoughts on this? I'm doing a lot of talking here. No, you're you're covering it pretty well. I mean, everything she's everything she does, everything she has is is decided to do is is indicative of her the characteristics of her personality and that's one of the things that i do love about her character even like just to jump ahead a little bit not to go too far but every decision she seems to make is in line with that mentality um everything we've seen from you know way way back early days to current she's stubborn she knows what she needs to do she knows what she wants to do she knows what needs to happen she has a very clear uh, line to walk in her mind. She has a very clear line to walk. Um, and whether that line is shifted left or right, based on what happens around her, she knows what the next step is. That's, that's who she is. She's a, you know, and and that's one of the things I've always loved about her character. Um, and we'll get more into that later when we start talking about some of the later stuff, but it's, it's one of the defining characteristics of her character in particular that I love compared to many of the other NPCs that seem to be, you know, wishy-washy or, or are kind of characters that that have these massive turns um jana is always jana is always jana and i i dig it she has she has a stubbornness and i know we've talked about this stubbornness but she's also got kind of a nurturing personality in some ways 
Like she wants to take care of people and she wants to make sure that people are okay. Um, I'm going to outright object to the word stubbornness because I feel like it's stubbornness is somebody who doesn't it's decisive. Like, yeah. She's decisive. She's decisive. She doesn't, gonna, she doesn't just... flip flop around. She, she sees a course of action. She knows what she thinks is best. She knows what's right from wrong and she f- stays the course. And I don't I, go ahead, Rossi. I'm sorry. Well, one of the reasons I, I've, I've gone back and forth on the whole Jaina thing a few times with people who are always like, why do you keep bringing Jaina up when you're talking about Legion? It's like, well, one of the reasons is because she's a Warcraft 3 character. Yeah. And the Warcraft 3 characters tended to get a little bit more depth. Like, some of the, my favorite characters are from Warcrafts 1 and 2. I mean, I, I'm a huge uh, Telerallian and Alaria fan. I love Lothar. But the thing about Jaina is she grew up in a world after the invasion. She grew up in a world where the orcs were now a thing that you had to know about and deal she with. She didn't know what the world was before orcs were in it. Yeah, there's. She is a child of the world of the war, like the war, the world the war made. And in a way, you know, she she reminds me of us because we all grew up in a post World War II world, like everything had changed and we had to grow up and deal with it. And that made her more approachable to me than the characters who fought in that first war. The other thing about her that I've always liked is that she she isn't just stubborn because stubbornness is a refusal to change when exposed to facts. When when facts change, you don't change. That's that's what stubbornness is to me. Jaina is, you know, obdurate, but in a like like literally she has fortitude. She sticks up for what she believes in. She isn't blind about she it. She will hold her own ground. Yeah, you can't just push her with with like loudness. No. You can't get her to like change her opinion just because you shot her. There's probably a better word than stubborn. <laughs> well, the example, I mean, we, we're still talking about like the war. We, we need to kind of move forward because the, the crowning example of Jaina's character and how willing she is to stand up for what she believes is what happens with her father. After when the she third gets to Kalimdor and yeah. they arrived on Kalimdor, she and the people that she took with her, they arrived on Kalimdor and they found orcs waiting for them. Um, they clashed with Grom Hellscream and his troops uh, several times over, I think. And, and they fought with the Night Elves. Let's and not they fa- fought with the Night Elves, too. There, there, was, there was a lot of... It was not an easy transition by any stretch of the imagination. And Jaina decided that she needed to go find this crazy prophet, the one that had sent her there to begin with. Because obviously, you know, she was sent there for a reason, but she didn't know what that reason was. So she... Went to Stone Talon Peak because it was, you know, an easily defended area. And also, she could sense that there was some kind of really big power going on over there. She didn't know what it was exactly, but she wanted to find out. And once she got there, that's when she met Thrall and she met Cairn. Um, And that's also when she met the Prophet. And he revealed himself and it's flippin' Medivh. It's the son of the guardian that she grew up reading about. The woman who pretty much, you know, shaped the path of Jaina's life without even realizing it. It was just these tales and things that got Jaina fascinated with magic. Here's Medivh, living legend, right in front of her. What does he say? You guys need to work together because the Burning Legion is coming. (laughs) And he brings in the Night Elves, too, and says, okay, all you guys, all y'all, you gotta work together. Um... Yeah. I do you want to talk about that, Rossi? Well, and one of the interesting things about the whole thing is Jaina Jaina's often depicted as a peacemaker and she is kind of a peacemaker, but she's not the kind of peacemaker who's like, let's all just get along. She flat out she gets up and thrall in Karen's faces. She's if you actually like look at Warcraft three, she's like very much, you know, I'll she's work on the with defensive. You. Like, I'll work with you, 
but I'm not a fool. Don't trifle with me. And later events would prove that that's a good warning. You don't don't trifle with Jana Proudmore. But when when they all get to the they they get to the prophet, there's this whole thing involving an ancient dead elven pr- princess, which is actually very interesting if you know like stuff about elven history, but it doesn't come in here. They they deal with that. They get to the they get through to Stone Talon. They they meet up with the prophet. He, he throws back his cloak and he's all surprise. I'm Medivh. And everyone's like, what? I think, well, Thrall's like, who? Uh, and Karen's like, um, I don't know who you are either. And Jaina's like, Medivh, what the heck are you doing here? And he basically I think Medivh was, or Jaina was pretty much the only person that recognized the name, really, or that she, would recognize the name. But I mean, to be fair, that's kind of the important part, because of yeah. all the people involved, that's that's where the weight needs to be carried. Because, yeah. you know, if you're in her position and you're growing up with, like, these wars with, you know, the orcs and the you know the, this new this established horde is now in opposition to your alliance or whatever like you have this this tension there and maybe they're a little more likely on the horde side to listen to magic birdman um where you know he doesn't want to kill us outright maybe we should listen to him okay we we can talk here this is fine because i mean look at it's thralling cairn two of the most level-headed leaders the horde have ever had um they're going to listen to reason before war because that's just how they are they they would rather avoid conflict and bloodshed so they he doesn't have to impress super upon them that i am this big important figure from your history (laughs) haha Whereas with the humans, with everything that's happened, that's where the weight needs to lie. So revealing himself at that moment, specifically for Jaina, makes the most sense. Like, it it makes sense. And to be clear here, Thrall was not a typical orc. Not by any stretch of the imagination. He'd been raised in the internment camps, the ones that Jaina saw when she was little. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I have to say this, I'm so sorry. Go ahead. He not that kind of orc. He not that kind of orc. No, not at all. He was raised by humans and he was raised to be a gladiator. But as he was, you know, being trained to fight and all this other stuff, he had outside forces. He had Teretha and he had Sargent who were teaching him concepts like honor. They were teaching him to read. They gave him books. They taught him a very human way of thinking. And when Thrall broke out of those internment camps and went and found Grom Hellscream, Grom's first reaction was, what are you? Because this was not, I mean, Thrall was speaking of honor and, and stuff like the, the kind of values that the orcs cleave to, but he was speaking about them from a very human perspective. It made Thrall a really weird character, but it also made him relatable in a way to Jaina. And he was pretty much the best leader that the Horde could have had at the time because just by merit of who he was, how he was raised, how he was born, he was in a position where he could say, okay, let's go ahead and work with these humans. And everybody would follow him. Of course they're going to follow him. He broke them out of the internment camps. He set them all free. They're going to follow him. Yeah, he broke. It's interesting because Thrall, it's it's also that upbringing that makes Thrall somebody who could reach out to like trolls and Torin. Yeah. His orcs are not, before Thrall, orcs do not, go around making alliances the closest they, don't, they, came they don't was, have diplomats per yeah. se the closest they ever came to that was we beat some ogres up and now they'll do what we tell them yeah and now it's like you know suddenly it was we can work together and form bonds of mutual brotherhood and other orcs are like we the uh, story of thrall he's saying it <laughs> yeah the story of thrall and how he broke out of the internment camps and all this stuff about Teretha and sergeant there's two places you can catch up on that one of them is the novel lord of the clans which was just re-released it's also by christy golden i think it's the first one that she wrote 
actually, for Blizzard. Um, it's really good. And the other place that you can check that out, of course, is the Caverns of Time instance where, you know, you're breaking through all out of Durnhold Keep. That's all part of the Lord of the Clans story. Obviously, you've got the infinite dragonflight involved, but you should totally check out that book if you want to see that part of Thrall's backstory because it's actually pretty intriguing. Um, moving on, though, this this all kind of culminated in, you know, the third war, the conflict at Hyjal, and that, again, Caverns of Time, if you go play through Hyjal, this is that period of history being played out over again. You we, should see... mention, we should mention something when we're talking about this? Sure. It was Jaina, by the way, who saved Grom Hellscream. Yeah. Uh, Jaina's the one who came up with the way to capture him when when Thrall was like, we got to go get Grom back and everyone else, even Karen was like, why? Um, he's kind of crazy. And Jaina was like, all right, if it'll get you on board, uh, here's here's how we can do it. And I I believe she's part of the reason they even got the fell stuff out of him. Yeah. It's Jaina as well. So that's Jaina is pretty instrumental in the ultimate liberation of the orcs from the blood curse. Because without her, you don't get Grom back at, back to his senses. She basically, and, she left Arthas and left the Eastern Kingdoms and started to forge her own destiny. And it was a pretty substantial one. Um, they fought in the Third War. They beat Archimond. He was destroyed. Um, and everybody lived. And Jaina took the remainder of her followers and she went and founded Theramore. Um, because at that point, it was like, okay, we've got this peaceful coexistence thing happening right now. Things aren't 100% okay, but they're all right. And maybe we can, you know, forge some alliances with the orcs and, and with the night elves and, you know, make things work. This is this is pretty good. Um, and that's when Jaina's daddy showed up again. <laughs> Joe, do you want to talk about that or Rossi? So, I mean, it, it's it's interesting because at that moment it was... I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. It was, oh God, I can't even think of how to form it. I'm sorry. Well, basically, I'll, I'll go until you get something. Yeah. Um, the thing with, with Dale and Proudmore showing up is, at first, Jaina was thrilled. You oh, know, yeah. She, lo- she loved her father. She didn't, you know, she hadn't got to see him in a while, but she loved him. And him showing up, you know, at least, you know, she didn't know what had happened to Colteris. And we still don't. We still, to this day, do not know what's going on. With yeah, we have no clue. It's a mystery. Yeah. We don't know but what happened. He showed up, and at first she was, like, thrilled. And she's like, you know, it's so good to see you. She opened Theramore to him. And within, like, a very short amount of time, he basically kicked her out of her own city. It's There's there's a generational difference going on here. Because Dalen Proudmore, he came from a time period in which the Alliance was the Alliance of Lordaeron was in heavy war with the orcs. He saw the opening of the dark portal. He lost his son to the orcs. So when he well, sees his daughter, his well, only there's other m- child, oh, there, there's a little more to that too. He, he, I mean, even then he directly opposed like the, the internment camps. He wanted them destroyed. Yeah. He wanted them. And that was a, and that was a breaking point for him with the Alliance too. Don't forget that. And it was kind of a breaking point with Jaina a little bit too. Yes. Because there, there was a point where she kind of started distancing, distancing herself a little bit from her father. I don't think it was a deliberate kind of thing. Cause obviously, you know, your magical daughter is living in Dalaran. You're not going to see her every day, but at the same time, they had two very, very distinctly different sets of values. And keep in mind that Theramore and Duratar both, they were both being founded at the same time, and they were being founded on the high of a victory against the Burning Legion, this incomprehensibly evil enemy from 10,000 years ago, 
and they fought it and they won. So naturally, these guys want to kind of work together because obviously it worked really well when they were beating the Legion back. So Jane is of this one mindset where she's seen, like, recently, so recently, that obviously orcs and humans can work together. Her dad shows up, and her dad hasn't seen any of this. He hasn't witnessed any of this. All he knows is these are the same green-skinned monsters as the ones that killed his son. And now his only other child wants to play nice-nice with them? Oh, no. He's not going to lose two kids. And he's not going to let the orcs, you know, roam free. He's going to do what he should have been in his eyes done in the first place and eradicate these guys. Um, I'm sorry. I interrupted. Go ahead. Which one of us? Either one of you. I'm doing a lot of talking, so I feel like I should, like, shut up. It seems, so appropriate. It seems appropriate on the Joanna show. Joe, do you have the, that thing you wanted to say formulated? Well, I mean, what I was going to say is, like, that moment of defiance at the end of that whole encounter is really the defining moment, too, right? Like, after everything that happened, not only did she just – she stand, she stood up for her own beliefs at it, drawing on her experiences for everything that she's seen with the Scourge, the Legion, and, and, and deep in her heart knowing that it was vendettas – that that were going to be the undoing if they held to him, right? That the the old hatreds have to be pushed aside, and she she knew this clearly. And the defining moment of this whole conflict for me is where she actually helped them, the horde, get ships and get out of there, including ordering her own troops to stand down. And that moment too, like that breaking moment, we're gonna talk. Like I, she turns to her father and just says. Why didn't you listen? And like, it's just that, that last tear, that last like rift in that relationship. Jaina is the Cassandra of wow. Yeah. No matter what her position is, people don't listen to it. Yeah. It's, it's like amazing how many times Jaina has been, no, no, we can do this. Nope. No one will listen or everything falls apart. And she's like, <sighs> and they keep doing it over and over again. Even when she changes her position it's like everybody else suddenly magically doesn't. It's like people who would totally burn to Orgrimmar to the ground are suddenly like, no, we should be peaceful. What is? What? I, I'm sorry, but I, I find find it frustrating. It is, and I mean, it's especially frustrating too when you look at it, it when you start taking the entire breadth of Jaina as a character from her her birth in the series all the way through to current. She has been at almost every single key moment that we as players have lived through from Warcraft, uh, the RTSs up to current, she's been there. She has a unique perspective that a lot of other characters do not have. She has insight into events that shaped the current world and she knows what's going on more so than most other people. I mean, look at the, the list of NPCs that, or, or characters that are, alive now that have those same experiences they're, they're very far and few between or how many are it's still a short active. list it's a very short list and when you take it's really into interesting too yeah if you the, to, to point out what you're saying the current head of the Kirin tor was gone for the entirety of the third war yep he was Jaina in was outland there. he was yeah. stranded in outland Jaina and was here for it Jaina on the front lines fighting alongside the horde she actually has like experienced what they're like as an ally it's and, really and, interesting and she's also interacted with some of the most important figures of the past, too, even before her time. We talked about how she, you know, she met Medivh at one point. She met Eglin. She like, did. And I feel like I want to I want to go back to that whole moment in Theramore with her father, because that was also another kind of turning point there where 
her own father was unwilling to listen to her. Her own father was unwilling to, like, give her the respect of... You know not what you speak of, girl. Right, right. And she was trying to tell him, look, we beat back the Burning Legion with their help. Like, we helped these guys. They helped us. Azeroth wouldn't be here if we weren't working together. And... Again, like I said, I think that there's just a generational divide there because Dalen, he was he was very much from that Warcraft 1, Warcraft 2 generation where that was what he knew was that conflict and the face of orcs, that's what he knew. That was the face that he recognized. Jaina didn't really she was born after that at you know to a degree. She was she was raised she grew up in a stage after the second war was over, after that had been resolved. So the only face of orcs that she's seen is Thrall and and, and his and kind. people in camps too. She and and the camp. internment camps, the orcs in the internment camps. You know, this is this is how she was raised. This is this is what she witnessed. So it's two very key different experiences here. And Jaina could see one future where. Everybody needed to work together because obviously if that burning legion, which she witnessed firsthand, she saw them, she saw what they were capable of. It was monstrous. It was terrible. It took a guardian coming in and intervening for them to actually succeed in, you know, if, if Medivh hadn't been there and Medivh hadn't brought all of these people together, there would be no Azeroth. The Legion would have won. There's no way the Nihilists could have withstand against him on their own. Period. So Jaina's working with this knowledge that, yes, these people need to work together. And her father's coming in and very much saying, no, that's not how the world works, Jaina. And she's like, well, no, it's not how the world worked with you, but it is how it's working now. And her father refused to listen. She had no choice at that point. She really had no choice because she, if she had just like let her father live, then that would have been treason against Kulteris for one thing. Um, and I don't think that that really would have been looked over very favorably. As it stands, though, the reason why Kulteris is such a mystery right now is because the last Kulteris heard of the outside world was that Grand Admiral or Lord Admiral Dalen Proudmore sailed across the sea to go visit his daughter in Theramore and he was never heard from again. That's it. Well, he was like, uh, it's weird too because it, you can't tell if he was just visiting or if there was something going on. Yeah. Like he he brought a military fleet with him. And he did. Very much felt like it could have been an escaping situation, but they never clarified it. They never said They never clarified it. And as far as Colteris itself, we've heard nothing. Absolutely nothing. The little remnants of Kulteris Navy that you see, you know, scattered around the world in World of Warcraft, those are remnants of those people that came over with Dalen Proudmore and with Jaina. They aren't yeah, from Kulteris itself. The ones that won't, like, they basically wouldn't go in with Theramore afterwards. That's basically no. it. Um, there was, like, a few of them in, in Duratar. Like, I want to say there was, like, a yeah. little base right near Orgrimmar. Yeah, there was a little holdout base of Kulteris uh, loyalists who... Yeah, they were not happy with Theramore. They were not happy. Well, obviously, they weren't happy with Theramore. They weren't happy with Jaina. Jaina engineered her own father's demise. And the thing is, is Jaina did not want to do that. I mean, her heart was broken there. But at the, you know, she had that loyalty to her father. She had that loyalty to Kul'Tiris, But that was being balanced against everything that she'd all 
already witnessed, like all of the stuff that was going on with the Scourge, all of the stuff that was going on with the Burning Legion. And when she weighed the two of them together, one of them carried a lot more weight and it was not the ground that her father was standing on. Yeah, well, because as you pointed out, it wouldn't have just been it wasn't just a situation where she had to oppose him. He'd come in and deposed her. Like he'd put her in a position where he, you know, that was her settlement. She started it. It was, yeah, it was her group. Yeah, it wasn't, they weren't Kaltarians. They were like people from, they were people from Gilneas in that group. Uh, There were people from all over Lordaeron in that group. They weren't just, you know, they weren't his people to command in the first place. And he deposed her and basically put her in a position where if she didn't do something, people she'd allied with previously would be attacked unawares. And that comes down like Rexar's in the, in Theramore when they, they order him captured and killed. And she has to make a call. And it's it's very much a, you know, I'm forced to do this. It's not a, you know, well, I've always wanted to get rid of the old man, but it's very much a, I can't let you do this. It's funny how many times Jaina comes up with uh, comes up against I can't let you do this situations. Or I can't watch you do this, you know, that kind of thing. Um, anyway, moving on, obviously, this set the stage for Jaina to be the diplomat, the one that we recognized in World of Warcraft, the one that wanted to get along with the orcs, the one that wanted to. And again, um, Joe, I know you brought it up. Over the that period of time, that stretch of time where, you know, Theramore and Duratar, they were at relative peace. Like they didn't they didn't out and out fight each other or anything. They were kind of wary of each other. But Thrall and Jaina spoke every now and again, fairly regularly. Um there was what a th- I think it was a three year period of relative peace, I think there yeah, or something, something like, that. like that. Something like that. Um and in the course of all of this stuff that was going on, Jaina discovered um, that there was an area in Thunder Ridge that, or excuse me, uh, an area, an area on, I think like the far side of Mulgore. It, it was basically in the Eastern Kingdoms or not in the Eastern yeah, Kingdoms, so, in Kalimdor. So basically she got approached by Thrall for, to relocate uh, the herd of Thunder Lizards that were displaced by a logging operation of Thunder Ridge. Uh, if you haven't seen them, Thunder Lizards are really, really annoying. And if you play now in the starting area, you're going to be swimming and trying to discharge their electric land so that they don't electrocute they're, anybody. They're big, water. big they're electric a- stegosauruses. Yes, and they, they're <laughs> absolutely awful. So during this during this time, she was she was actually going to try to mass teleport them uh, to a unpopulated region on the far side of Mulgore, far side of Mulgore. Um, and that's when she discovered accidentally that the area was magically warded. Why was it warded? Well, it had to protect the single inhabitant, Agewin. The only person that's where Agewin had been hiding for all of this time. After all of that stuff that went down with Medivh, she'd been kind of hidden away um, and living in isolation, self-imposed isolation for the most part. She was perfectly happy to be living on her own. She didn't really want visitors, nor did she really want. Oh, and she was not happy either because Jaina Jaina was the the. You know, fangirls. Like, oh my Jaina, god, Jaina was like hard oh. eyes, and yeah. oh my gosh, I can't believe you're actually alive and standing right in front of me. This is the most amazing thing ever. And Edwin's just like, oh, her eyes and like, go away, kid, go away, oh, kid. Please. You have no idea. Well, the, the interesting thing here too is is that encounter allowed like allowed for a filling in of gaps, right? Like, Edwin filled in the gaps of everything that had happened from her perspective and what was still happening. In the world, uh, particularly with Theramore and, and Duratar, with uh, I think it was um, something. It was a demon with a Z name. It's Modlor. Yeah, there he is. 
Uh, that was the guy behind like bringing back the Burning Blade Clan. He was a minor to- minor yeah. demon. He wasn't like a major agent of the Burning Legion or anything. He was a minor but was demon, enough, but he was but powerful he was en- enough. He was enough to put two people. He was enough to put people against each other. And, and he was enough meant. to actually like take care of Agewin because the thing is about Zmodlor is well the thing about Agewin at that point Agewin had expended the majority of her power helping her son helping Medivh giving him a second chance giving him the opportunity to come back unite the, all these people redeem himself and the burning legion threat um so she didn't she wasn't working with her full scale guardian powers at this point she was working with maybe like a fraction of them i mean still powerful by by any still powerful but she was no longer eternally young because she couldn't maintain that whole eternally young thing anymore you know there was only so much that age one could do so at the end of all of this in which obviously you know jaina and age one they were successful in taking down smodlor and um you know peace was saved or whatever it wasn't really saved it was just it was back to where it was that sort of wary Mm -hmm. I know you're there and you know I'm there and we're not going to work together, but we're not going to be super aggressive towards each other either. Well, it was a non-aggression pact. It was basically right. what it was. It was like, we're not going to be friends. We're going to be neighbors that don't bother each other. It's you, right. you stay on your side of the fence. I'll stay on my side of the fence and, and never the two shall meet. And H1 said, okay, kid, I'll come back with you. And she went back to Theramore and served. She pretty much served as Jaina's Chamberlain. Almost, well, there's a little like, more advisor. on that too. Yeah, well, what wound up happening is uh, when Jaina and Age One came back to Theramore, uh, Jaina's current Chamberlain was uh, corrupted by the Burning Blade. And so basically they had to that that was part of that whole process of taking out Zmodlor. There was a job opening in Age One. And there was a job opening. <laughs> and then Age One was like, you know what, I'll stay around. And for those that don't know what a Chamberlain is, um, it basically is like the ranking officer of a household or monarch or noble's estate that manages everything, uh, all the minutiae instead of the noble when the noble's away doing things. Um, so that that's kind of an important role for anybody to have, let alone this iconic person from history who, you know, is probably one of the few that has seen as much stuff go down as Jaina has at this point. So. This all sets the stage for what we see in World of Warcraft. This all sets the stage for everything that Jaina was right up until Wrath of the Lich King. This also sets the stage for the person that Jaina was in Wrath of the Lich King. And I know a lot of people kind of make fun of Jaina because it seems like she's crying all the time, like throughout the thing. But you have to understand that when she sees the Lich King, it's not just the Lich King. It's the most terrifying being in creation on Azeroth and it's wearing her dead lover's face. It's wearing the face of her former fiance. It's wearing the face of the man that she loved. And she doesn't know if there's any vestige of that man left in that thing or not. And a lot of Jaina's struggle in Wrath of the Lich King is that struggle with trying to temper her emotions with what she knows must be done. Obviously, the Lich King has to fall, but she's still kind of holding out for this hope that maybe there's some way to redeem him and maybe she'll get Arthas back someday. And obviously that didn't play out. Um, So you have Jaina again with a broken heart. But throughout all of this, Jaina wasn't working against the Alliance. Jaina was trying to work with the Alliance and with the Horde and bring them together. What she wanted to see was 
an alliance, a diplomatic alliance. And she kept trying to make this happen with Varian Wren. Um, and Varian wasn't really on board with it because Varian watched his father's heart ripped from his chest by an orc. Like, Varian was very much, he's like, yeah, no, I don't think so. <laughs> he wasn't quite from her father's period of history. Her father's period of history is very much people who fought the Horks directly and therefore had a knee-jerk reaction towards them. Right. Uh, Dalen had lost his son. Dalen was very angry. But Dalen lost his son in battle. Right. You, you, that happens. You know, you lose people in battle. Varian lost his father. Varian was a 10-year-old who walked into the throne room and saw his father get his heart cut out by someone that he'd personally extended himself to. Garona had been welcomed into the household. She was a friend. friend. Yeah, Yeah. she was considered a friend. Um, So Jaina had a lot working against her, obviously. Um, But that's why... When you see Jaina in World of Warcraft, when you see her in, you know, when you see her right up until Wrath of the Lich King, right up until Cataclysm, really, um, when you see her trying to be this proponent for peace, that's why the entirety of her life is kind of built up to this series of events. And one of the most pivotal events in her lifetime was witnessing orcs and night elves and Torin and humans all working together to beat back this pervasive terrible threat and then we get you know garage hellscream in the mix and yeah uh joe or rossi you want to cover garage and what happened to theramore because that's a doozy joe's plays horde he should have to do it <sighs> you're gonna make me do that i don't like reliving this moment yeah so let's talk about the destruction of theramore because that's what it was so <sighs> this is probably one of the most grievous things that we've experienced as players in the game and This is beyond all plagues, beyond everything else. This is when Garrosh decided that it was time to wipe Theramore and the human's existence from Kalimdor because, well, why should they be there? This is our land. They didn't want this to begin with. We should make them go away. And I'm oversimplifying. And I feel thing. like we should we should point out that the whole reason that Garrosh was in the position where he could make this kind of decision in the first place was because Thrall appointed him leader when he left. Yeah, he basically built him up and then like, here you go. You're good. You're in charge now. And so you're given a warlord, like basically control of an entire nation or an entire people. And that's what he's going to do is he's going to approach it like a warlord. He's going to approach it like somebody who, you know, needs to handle things in a militaristic way. Uh, and, this, and this comes after, I believe it was shortly after Garrosh invaded Ashenvale Forest. Uh, Theramore's forced to abandon uh, the truce, but what wound up happening here is that Garrosh went to, and I can't remember his name, uh, he was part of the Kirin Tor before, the, the Blood Elf Mage, Crud, I can't remember his name. Aethys? No. Which one was it, Rossi? Which one are we talking about again? The one that created the bomb. Oh, Thalian Songseeker? Thank yes, you. Yes, thank you. So he went to Thalian and he's like, hey, we need to, we need this taken care of. And Thalian's like, yeah, I got an idea. I can make this this thing that is a weapon of mass Sure, I'll make it work. And so they use this arcane energy, this 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 bomb, and it is actually like a atom bomb in fantasy game terms, where they drop it from a goblin zeppelin, uh, basically using the focus. I think it was the focusing iris, wasn't it? I think it was the focusing iris that would turn into the bomb, um, and it ba- they dropped it on the city, destroying all of the alliance defenders, a lot of people. And I mean, I, I don't want to say thank you for this, but killing Ronan in the, the the process as well. 
um, as Ronan tries to stay behind to get everybody else out so that, you know, as many survivors can be there as that can be. That moment, and all of this plays out in Tides of War. Again, you can pick that one up. That's also by Christy Golden. Golden is really good at writing Jaina. Like, I think Jaina was kind of almost her baby in a way. Because um, all of the novels, I think, that have involved Jaina Proudmore, Golden's been the one who's addressed it. Um, yeah, it was the focusing iris. It was stolen from the Nexus and Caligos. Caligos showed up to try and find it. Because he knew that it was gone. He didn't know where it had gone. Um, and obviously, you know, things didn't play out the way that they... They didn't play out in a very good way. And I feel like we should note, n- note that, yeah, Ronan died, okay? Ronan died because he was shielding the city and trying to get people out of there. Jaina was there and she refused to leave. And at the last possible second, he basically shoved her through a portal and said, Nope, you need to live. Well, it wasn't just her either, too. It was, uh, what, it was Varesa, Chandris, her, and Caligos. Yeah, but he he basically punched her through a portal um, on her own and said, yep, get out. And, and, and stayed into the front of the blast himself. And how close it was, too, is I believe it was before the portal closed, there was still the wash of the arcane energy. Yeah, it which was is like what turned her, second. Which was what turned her eyes and her hair white. Right. Um she was affected by the blast and of course what does she do she immediately returns to theramore and what does she find she finds the shattered ruins of the nation that she'd spent all this time building up and every everything that she had ever worked for in her life was destroyed in that second and um, i gotta say man every time i read that i always come upon the part where her brand new apprentice oh god find. kennedy kindy kindy sparkshine yeah um that makes me cry every time um <laughs> gina snaps really for want of a better word but is it really any wonder that she did because everything that she spent her life working towards and fighting for and that one bright shining future that she saw reflected you know in that first assault against the burning legion that successful one uh the one at hyjal it was all destroyed in an instant and everyone she had ever known all of the people that she had brought to shelter all of the people that she had kept safe all of this time, they were gone and there was nothing she could do about it. And any spark, uh, you know, that, that spark of, of the diplomat that kind of lived in her that wanted to work with the Horde, it pretty much died that day. And is it any wonder that it died, really? You know, in the face of what happened, <laughs> there's no way any reasonable person would say, oh yeah, no, we still need to work with these guys. No, she was done. And the one thing that you really don't want to do is you don't want to take off Jaina Proudmore because what did she do immediately after that? She took the elements of the ocean itself. Like she, she went to Dalaran, demanded retribution. Dalaran said, nope. Um, she stole some, what was it? The focusing iris? Yeah, no, she, yeah, the focusing iris. She stole stuff, and I think she stole, like, uh, an, an incantation or something from Dalaran. I can't remember. Anyway, um, she essentially called the oceans to her, and she planned to just pretty much drown the entirety of Orgrimmar. That's where she was at. That's where her headspace was at. Um, and again, I don't think that anybody could blame her. Caligos, in the meantime, had... He had formed kind of a bond with Jaina and 
that's that seems to be kind of the mo for caligos is he likes to form attachments to magical creatures <laughs> things like that we're going to well, talk we, about that i i don't think we need to go into it too much but what we okay. need what we need to go because we need to actually start wrapping it up because it's been longer than an hour now and yeah um in case you guys are wondering, talking about Jane of Rodmore will easily take you an hour and a half. It will. It will. Absolutely. But what we need to look at here is that the point in Jaina's life where all of this fell apart is also the point where she changed in a very pivotal kind of way to being for this whole diplomacy between the factions to being very thoroughly against it. Because obviously, you know, in that second where everything that she had known and loved just kind of fell apart and it was at the hands of Thrall. Really? I mean, where can where else could you put the blame for that? He was the one who put Garrosh at the head of the horde. You know, he put him in this kind of position of power and look at what he did with it. And then Thrall had the gall to show up and try and convince her not to like destroy Orgrimmar, that there was like a better way. Um, and she listened. I don't think she liked it, but she listened. But that kind of shaped that was that pivotal moment that shaped Jaina into the character that she is now. And now that she's dead set against the horde, all of a sudden everybody else wants to work with them again. Yeah. It's well, amazing. And it's that whole, it's the whole harbinger of the, we have to work together in order to defeat the Legion. The Legion is the ultimate evil. And she's like, I don't know about that. I've, I've seen genocide at the hands of mortals. Like, Everything, everything I want has been, sh- everything I've wanted as far as peace has been shattered. I wanted to live a happy existence in, in my little island and in my tower and kind of do things like in a peaceful manner and not le- not bother anybody. But mm, I don't know, maybe the, maybe maybe we can do this without them. How's that? How's that? And sorry. what's kind of interesting about Jaina's role is that Jaina has morphed from that, you know, voice of optimism and that voice of diplomacy into her father. She doesn't she she doesn't want to have anything to do with the orcs. She doesn't want to have anything to do with the horde. She thinks that all of them should be shoved out. There there is no working with them as far as she's concerned. And you know, they can sit there and go, "Oh, hey, no, cuz you know, the legion is far more important. We need to beat the legion." And all she can do is look back at history and go, "Yeah, I helped them and I worked with them to beat the legion. And guess how I was repaid? Guess what happened to me?" How can you say this? You can say this in the moment, but afterwards there will be a reckoning and it's not going to be on our side. And I think that's one of those important moments, too. And and, and we talked about this briefly before, too. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not the only one that feels that way. Even she in the, isn't. Even in the voting. And this is spoilers for anybody who hasn't played Legion yet, which, I mean, if you're listening to this, really? Okay. Come on, you should be. <laughs> um when the option is presented, when when you go with Kagar and you say we're going to work together and you bring this to, you know, the consul in Dalaran and she sits there and she says, I cannot do this. We need to this can't happen. And then it, Kagar says, well, we should vote on this. Everybody should have an equal say. And it's not just her. There's another mage. That it's not a unanimous says, no, vote. It's yeah. not a unanimous vote at all. And we don't know anything happened beyond that, but there could be more there could be more repercussions because of that, because it seemed kind of out of place almost. But she's not the only person that feels that way. She's not the only one that's lost everything to the hands of the horde. Uh, She's not the only one that sees the atrocities or has seen as all the the death and destruction that she has. And, yeah, the Legion is a huge threat, but she also looks at what they have at their disposal and is pretty Plus, sure that I mean, they can take care of it. We're making it sound like she was completely unreasonable when the Legion showed up this time. She wasn't. And she wasn't. She straight up, was, she put it aside. She was like, all right, 
I will work with them then. And she goes goes to the island with Varian and uh, Gen, and she, you know, they fight alongside the Horde, and she doesn't make an issue of it. She doesn't complain she until works with them. everything falls apart. And from her perspective, what does she see? The she Horde. She sees the Horde pull out. Yep. Once again. And this time, she loses Varian. Yeah, is it I mean, any that's, an wonder, under, that's, a, that's an understatement. Is it any it's, wonder, you know, and, and obviously, you know, she and Varian, they weren't, they were never romantically you know, entwined or anything like that, but they were of the same generation and they had an understanding and Varian didn't always agree with Jaina, but he respected her. She um, was often the only one who could rein him in. Yeah, she was, she really, when he was like at his ragiest, she was the only one who could kind of calm him down. And well, not only he, that, but she, he was, a, he was a symbol too, right? Yeah. And like, in, in, in his calmer moments, like he's the one that forced the council of three hammers. He's the one that, that quelled a lot of debate. And when he got his head right, when he wasn't the furious rage monster anymore, uh, he became a unifying factor for the Alliance. He became that figurehead that, that, that person that tied everything together. And she sees that lost, right? She sees the Horde condemn the Alliance with one final blow, a deliberate action in her mind. How is she going to react to that? This is this is a people that have been struggling for years. Look at look at look at all of the expansions we've been through. Look at all the the stories of the alliance, and and, and like I mean, bringing Gilneas back into the fold, bringing out the reason everything works at least as well as it does is because Varian is willing to sit there and say, "You're dumb. Shut up and listen to me," or "You guys need to stop fighting. We need to do this," or "You're going to do nothing but give our enemies the opportunity to destroy everything we hold dear." He becomes a voice of reason, and now she watches that voice of reason die at their hands. That her people, the people that she's committed her life to, that her family committed their lives to, multiple times gone in that one moment. And yeah, so when Cadgar then comes to her and says, "No, we need to let we need to let them back into the Curator again. We need to let the Blood Elves back in," she has that moment where she goes, "Are you kidding me?" Because the whole reason that she kicked those blood elves out of the Kirintor was because they allowed someone into Darnassus to basically find the divine bell, which was a weapon of untold power and take it back to Garrosh. They, they turned on as, as far as Jaina was concerned, they turned on the very neutrality that the Kirintor stood for and sided with the horde. And she was like, no, we're not. no, we're going to stand with the Alliance. You're done. Get out. Um, and it was vicious. It was absolutely vicious uh, what she did. Because she she didn't just like kick them out. She flat out had people killed in the streets. She really didn't care at that point. Because she had seen what Garrosh could do with one weapon. She, she didn't want another one to fall into his hands. And the Blood Elves had decided to let that happen. And she didn't care about the circumstances. She didn't care whether or not people were forced. She didn't care what the reasoning was. All she cared was that Theramore had been destroyed by something of massive proportions and Garrosh looked like he was winding up for another strike. Um, So the mage formerly known as Bjork is the person who initially sent us this question and said, do you think Jaina could be trying to find a weapon to fight the Burning Legion? I absolutely think that she is. I don't think that she has it in her to just let the world burn. I think she's looking for something someone who will listen to her maybe or something so powerful that maybe she doesn't need anyone to listen to her maybe she can just become that 
woman that Agewin was and save the whole dang world on her own because nobody else is listening. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know what you guys think on that, but we really do need to wrap it up here. So I'm going to ask you what you think in light of everything that we've just covered and Jaina as a character, what do you think is the most logical thing for Jaina to be doing at this point? Do you think she's looking for a weapon for the burning Legion? Rossi? Uh, that would certainly make sense. They've, they've been like, there's been absolutely nothing and it's kind of disturbing. Like it, it does make me fear that they've just going to straight up, not have her show up again, this whole expansion. And that would be like kind of nuts, but I don't know. Uh, I keep coming back to Ilganoth and I really hope, I really, really hope that, that that's not what they're going to do, but the whole, her heart is a crater and we have filled it. Yeah. Um, Imagine if she did find some place like there's lots of places where the, you know, the, the old gods. Were. And we have kind of, you know, we've speculated on on who the her Ilganoth is that, that he could be ta- talking about because he could be talking about Jaina. He could be talking about Azeroth because Azeroth has been referred to as a she. He could be talking about. I mean, there's any number of characters, but Jaina does fit that bill. And yeah. yeah, it is kind of. Distressing. I really don't want that to happen. And neither do I. Because I feel it would be a waste of of such a great character. It really would. And I mean, honestly, I would and it would make sense to what Rossi's saying is that she's searching for a powerful, you know, artifact or weapon or something to fight the Legion. What's not afraid of the Legion? The Void isn't afraid of the Legion. So she starts dabbling in, in that sort of area. Maybe they crept in and we've seen what what the old gods what the void does with people who have hate and fear in their heart with people who are so broken whether they've lost a son a loved one just one person and how easily they were you know corrupted or taken uh with the best intentions right like they they thought they were doing what was best and then their heart is just completely not their own anymore their actions are not their own it would i could see that happening to her i don't want it to happen to her what i would love to see happen is I would love to see her be the turning point in a losing battle. I would love to see her come in at the head of a fleet of Kaltira ships that she has resurrected or that she has put back together, that she has been spending this time amassing, being the mage pirate queen, you know, coming in at the last minute to defeat, you know, to strike the, the definitive blow that turns the tide in our favor at our darkest moment and then leaves. And, you know, she she turns that tide and then says, I've done anything I was obligated to do for you. You're on your own now. You know, that would be the final moment of if she has to leave the story in some way. Let her go out strong. Let her let her not become a toy to the plot. Let her be that moment where she gives us that one final grace, that one final saving grace, despite everything we have forced her through as players. And this is both sides at this point and then she you know becomes this thing that won't deal with any of us you know and i could deal with that i could deal with something like that and honestly that's what i would prefer and i think that she's honestly i think that she's too strong for the old gods to just kind of slip in and have their way i don't i don't think that Jaina is the type i would be tremendously disappointed if that was what happened to her after all of this because i think that she's got the strength to be something extraordinary. And I also think that 
you know, as she was as she was living in Theramore and and as all of this stuff was going on, as the shattering happened and everything else, she formed this relationship and this bond with Andwin where it was almost like she was his older sister or his aunt, that kind of a, a familial sort of connection with him. He's lost his father. I don't think that she would necessarily leave him to stand on his own like that. And I would like to see her come back in some kind of advisory capacity or something. I would like to see her, you know, own her strength, recognize her strength and not use it for, you know, this path of destruction or whatever, but use it in a big, I've shown up, I've saved you guys. And yeah, you know, Joe, what you were saying, you know, if she showed up, if she showed up and she just said, okay, I saved you guys, I'm done. See you later. You're on your own and sailed off into the sunset, I guess I'd be okay with that too. But the thing is, is like they spent so much time developing Jaina as a character that she's kind of become a person in her own right. And I still want to see, because I feel like she's still got places that she could go. Oh, she absolutely could. And I agree with that. It, it's, I would rather have her do either of either of those options, come back and, and take the place as an advisor or have the opportunity to come back later you know what I mean? Like you have that moment and establish yourself as a superpower and, you know, come back later on. Maybe when we're traveling to Argus, maybe, you know, whatever happens after that. But I do not want to see her become the villain and us have to take her out. That is, if that happens, I will legitimately cry. Yeah. All right. So on that note, which is kind of a downer of a note, but we've kind of gone over by like a substantial degree. So we need to go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, Bjork, I hope that kind of answers your question, maybe with a lot more depth than you were looking for. But Gina's kind of fascinating. So, you know, we could spend all of this time talking about her. She's a pretty cool character. Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. And your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast a better chance at having your questions answered on our podcast or the queue and an ads free site experience and for you guys the listeners of blizzard watch and lore watch audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service uh this includes a lot of the books that we talked about today so arthas uh tides of war the shattering i believe all of those have audiobook selections that are available on audible and you can choose that as your free download if you want to check out that novel without actually you know sitting down reading it you can listen to it while you're on the road while you're on your way to work go for it they're good books anyway you can download many of blizzard's titles as well as many others they've got a sizable selection just go to blizzardwatch.com audible and sign up for your free 30-day trial and as always if you've got a question that you'd like us to talk about or a subject you'd like to talk us to talk about on lore watch please feel free to email us at podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Just include lore watch in the subject line so that we know which podcast it's intended for. Um, and that pretty much wraps us up. So final thoughts on Jaina Proudmore, Rossi. She needs to come back. It's absurd that she hasn't been in this expansion. If you wanted to have Cadgar be the head of the Karen tour, um, I guess that's fine, but there, there are, the, the fact that we haven't seen or heard or anything from her means that we really need to have her in 7.2. Uh, it's just, yeah, she needs to come back. Joe, same question. Thoughts on Jaina Proudmore? I echo Rossi, and I add many expletive deletives to the fact that she hasn't been in the story yet. 
as for myself, there are two characters that are going to be given an extreme disservice if they are not included in this expansion at all whatsoever. One of them is Jaina Proudmore. The other one is Rathian. Both of them tie into the storyline in such a direct manner that it just feels strange that they Rathion, are not included. Rathian engineered the whole Siege of Orgrimmar. He engineered so that, the Siege of Orgrimmar, yeah. but the other thing that he no, engineered... No, because... He did it because of this. Because of this. Because of what's happening right now. So it seems weird that he's not available. Jaina... Jaina is arguably the one person, the one human being in history who should absolutely be here at the second coming of the Burning Legion because she was there at Hyjal. Khadgar wasn't there. So what does he know, really? I mean, come on. <laughs> Come on, guys. And with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Thank you guys very much for listening, and we will see you in two weeks.